0: Broadcasted live. Hey.
1: Hey. hey, who wants to have some
0: fun?
2: There are balls coming from all over the place: left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you
0: just saying you want to have fun, or do you really
2: want to have fun? It'll be fun.
0: Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field? Point them out or get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. Get in and sit
2: down. You talking to me? You talking to me?
0: That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth.
2: Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show, and right there is your host, Dan Scott.
1: All right, all right, all right. Let's get rolling on another edition of the show. It's Monday. It's December the 21st, right? When we are recording this, airing live, kind of, on WZLA in Abbeville. And, of course, it is uh, another episode, I believe, episode 20 of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. I am Dan Scott. Good to have you along with us on this uh, show of Christmas week. And uh, we look forward to spending the next uh, hour or so with you and kind of breaking down some of the things that are going on. And uh, this is another one of those weekends where, you know, we could probably fill three or four or five or 10 hours. Uh, There's just so much to get into and so many controversies and and different opinions flying back and forth on things from the college football playoff and everything else. We'll try to, to narrow it down as much as we can, Tom Van Hoy and I, Throughout the course of the show, Dave Glenn from accsports.com and theathletic.com. He'll be joining us as well in the second half of the program as usual. I uh, thought we were going to have the entire band together this morning, but that didn't work out. So hopefully that'll be coming back in the next week or so. Just want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza. Uh, the uh, North Markley Street location in downtown Greenville in the west end, just down from uh, Fleur Field at the west end where the Greenville Drive are going to be playing baseball again this spring, it would appear. And um, they have just fantastic uh, people there, uh, even better than the food, and the food is incredible. I've said this before. If you're not from the Greenville area and you're coming in uh, to visit at some juncture, you need to put Todaro Pizza on your uh, food bucket list because uh, it is just incredible. And uh, they are still open. They uh, have uh, inside dining and outside dining so they can take care of you regardless of what your uh, situation is or how you're feeling during this pandemic. TodaroPizza.com is the website, T O D A R O Pizza.com. And you can also find them on Facebook under Todaro Pizza Greenville. Thanking uh, John and the boys there for continuing to support the podcast. And I also remind you that if you'd like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear some feedback. And I got some just this past week and it's amazing, uh, how, how good that makes us feel. And it doesn't matter if it's good feedback or bad feedback. We want to hear it. The Dan Scott show at gmail.com is the web, the, uh, email address, the Dan Scott show at gmail.com. Or if you're uh, listening to the podcast on any of the platforms, just leave a link there or a comment there in the comments section. And uh, we'll interact with you that way. All right, let's go to break. We'll come back. And when we do, Tom Van Hoy joins us and we get rolling on some college football stuff. Did Clemson make a statement or what? That's on the other side. Don't go away. right, welcome back, and uh, good to have you along with us here. Monday before Christmas, just getting things cranked up here on this edition of the Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Podcast-wise, it's episode 20, and uh, however you're checking us out, we're glad to have you. I'm here, and Tom Van Hoy is here. Thomas, how are you?
0: Good, good. You know, we're kind of headed toward Christmas here, and you and I are kind of winding down a little Furman basketball, and they're looking for... A break, so everything's good.
1: Yeah, a little afternoon basketball. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, at Timmins Arena today, as Furman of South Carolina State will close out uh, the Palinans non conference schedule. I'll just give a little uh, little promo there. Four o'clock tip off, 3 30 airtime. And I know we're on WZLA down in Abbeville, and I don't want to take any listeners away from The Godfather <laughs> by any stretch oh, yeah. of the imagination. <laughs> but uh, you can find out how to check us out. Uh, if if you'd like to do so, of course, it's going to be interesting too. If they tune in to listen to the basketball game, they're going to miss this radio show. So it's quite, quite the quandary.
0: Ah, you're competing against yourself. I, yes, I'm. I'm going, I'm going to
1: be on the air simultaneously <clears throat> in multiple markets, doing two different things. Through the All right, through, So this, through the miracle of technology.
0: This is the ultimate Dan Scott doubleheader, or or,
1: huh? or infecting multiple markets maybe that's the better way to look at it <laughs> oh, of course it, so will you you'll be with me on oh I, was, well, I hadn't thought about that yeah man. yeah you wise know. guy
0: mm-hmm. you know how's I'm that working out wing, for you well, i'm kind of the wingman here but well, not <laughs> not really but you know <laughs> i'm like the opposite of a wingman yeah wi- wi- wingman <laughs> like, wing
1: these days has a whole different connotation oh man chauffeur maybe you know but anyway something along those lines um van hoy household ready for christmas
0: Yeah, we're good. Uh, We kind of have it down a little bit uh, over the years. You know, I don't, I don't struggle putting together things at uh, two o'clock in the morning on the uh, Christmas (laughs) day, Christmas Eve type. Don't you want to go to bed? Go to bed. (laughs) So we're good. We're in good shape.
1: Yeah, what I've uh, found out is as we've kind of come full circle in life is, you know, we went a long time without having to put things together. And then last night, you know, we have grandchildren now, three of them oh
2: boy last there
1: night, I, last night, instead of, you know, their father's putting stuff together. you know, it's, it's Booba. That's what they call me who's, uh-huh. who's, who's putting things together for them. Fortunately, it wasn't, uh, wasn't too difficult. I do leave the, the more intricate things to their dads because that's a father's right of passage and a grandfather's right uh-huh. to pass that along. So. There
0: you go. You know, I miss the handyman, Gene. I'm just thankful that uh, my wife loves power tools and things like that. Yeah. So, you
1: know, well, you know, we're, we're looking at it last night and putting, <laughs> putting together a scooter of all things. My, my wife at one point says, here are the directions. You know, you want to you look at those? <laughs> no, nah, uh, nah, I got it. <laughs> what, what's, what self-respecting man reads the directions? At, at least at first. Come on.
0: Well, and the other thing, Dan, we travel in a Prius, and uh, the <laughs> owner's manual is 746 pages. Who has time to read that? You have to take a class, I think, before you can drive one of those. Uh, yeah, and, and cars. by the
1: by the way, folks, Tom's not exaggerating. And I'll tell you this quick story, and then we'll we'll get on. We we, we are driving the uh, the athletic departments. Prius because normally coaches are using it for recruiting recruiting's in a dead period now so you know cost saving measures instead of us renting a car we're driving this Prius which is fantastic The things getting you know 51 52 miles per gallon uh, as a hybrid it's just incredible but it, it is one of those things where it, it's a, it's a very let's say unique vehicle if you've never driven one and a lot of the things that are in certain places on common vehicles regardless of who makes them are not in the same place on this Prius and and it takes some getting used to well one of the things that's been driving me crazy is trying to fix the clock it was like two and a half hours off and could not figure out how to do it so I determined before we took off for uh, where did we play? Uh, Winthrop. Winthrop. Winthrop, Winthrop yeah. on Saturday, uh, heading to Rock Hill. We're going to figure this out, and so I couldn't figure it out, and so I said, Tom, or no, Tom said, hey, let me look at the owner's manual. He's not exaggerating. A Toyota Prius owner's manual is seven hundred and forty-six pages, <laughs> and this is a, this is a two thousand sixteen model, Tom. Oh, I didn't know. Ma- imagine what the two thousand twenty. Uh, owner's manual is finally, you know how we got the clock set. I went to Siri and had her Google how to do it (laughs) and we got it done. So, and I never found it. (laughs) And no 746 page owner's manual, but, and I told Tom and Jordan Kasky coming back, we were laughing at it. By the time you finish reading the owner's manual, it would be time to trade in the car.
0: There you go. So yeah,
1: yeah. Has nothing, nothing to do with sports, but it has everything to do with sports travel in the pandemic
0: yeah there are a million stories as they say in the big city a couple of them good
1: <laughs> Un- unlike <laughs> this one all right let's 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 get to it um you know we hear all the time uh every year uh, about you know that was a statement game by so and so that was a statement game by this team or that team I don't think it's any question Tom Clemson made a statement in its game against Notre Dame in the ACC championship
0: yeah, they did a remarkable run that they've had over the last uh, couple of years. And, you know, you go in, you lose 47, 40 and two overtimes at uh, Notre Dame. And, you know, I, the, the students stormed the field and that, that's okay. I, you know, that's a big win for Notre Dame. And, you know, Clemson is just so used to to winning and uh, that was at Notre Dame. And we all know the particulars there. I mean, obviously did enough offensively with the 40 points and Trevor Lawrence didn't play. But, the bigger story, as it turns out, was the guys they didn't have on defense that day. And uh, as uh, as it played out on uh, on Saturday in Charlotte, it turned out that I, I think the, the final numbers on the rushing yardage for Notre Dame uh, was less than what the first play of the game was at Notre Dame when the running back went 60-some yards or something like that for a touchdown, and then Trevor Lawrence back in and and uh, you got Travis, uh, Travis Etienne going. He had a, kind of a tough day uh, at Notre Dame. So, uh, you know, Clemson's used to winning. They don't lose very often. They got a lot of things to play for. So did Notre Dame. But uh, I think you're, you're right. They, they came ready to play. They're. Had their guys back, James Skalski, and a couple of D linemen as well, and shut down Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's been very good, uh, uh, obviously this year with Ian Book at quarterback. And sometimes you forget he was thirty and three as the starter. We talk so much about Trevor Lawrence at thirty four and one and what he's been able to do. So, uh, yeah, they they came ready to play and uh, on a national stage, and uh, they they as they say they definitely took care of business.
1: Well, you know, all of the the attention <laughs> has been on. James Skowski and and the other two, the two defensive linemen that did not play in the first game coming back and the difference that they made. In fact, uh, you referenced uh, uh, on the trip to Winthrop uh, on Saturday before that game was played that Tim dropped a very Tim esque stat on a television interview that when those three guys are in there, the opponent's rushing average is – what two yards much a less, carry or yeah. something yeah. like that, and without him, the opponent's rushing average was uh, over five yards a carry. Something that only Tim Bere would would know off the top of his head, I think. But uh, you know the other the other issue in that game that I I, I thought did not get enough um, enough conversation, Tom, was <clears throat> Clemson's offensive line and, and how much better it performed. And and that's evidenced by the game that Travis Etienne had. Uh, the the offensive line uh, did not open very many holes at Notre Dame. They they, they struggled in the running game and kind of had their manhood challenged a little bit. And I thought that group answered the bell on Saturday.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Dan. As some of the comments we saw, you know, you take you know take it to heart, so to speak. Like there are a lot of folks nationally that didn't think their old line was very good and. You know that that type of thing. They it was they did struggle against uh, Notre Dame. No question about that first time there. But you know uh, they. Oftentimes you don't get a second opportunity, and in this case they did. And and when they did, uh, they were able to uh, perform very well in that game. And I mean it's just uh, as I mentioned at the outset. You kind of backtrack a little bit on, on where Clemson is and where they were. Um, you know, seven eight years ago, it's just uh, they, they very seldom e- ever lose, and when they do lose a game, it's it's pretty close. And you know, I always kind of think back then, and this happened at at uh, Notre Dame when the uh, uh, fans rushed the field. But there was a Kansas is so good in basketball, and they're so used to winning all the time, particularly at home, and remarkable numbers there. There was a game, I don't know, back in the late '90s when they beat Texas in three overtimes. And the, the fans rushed the court at, at KU. And two of their top players who went on into the NBA, Rayfle Friends and Kirk Heinrich, it, they were mad. They said, "Hey, we're expected to win. Right. You don't need to be doing that. Hey, come on, we're Kansas. So I think that's ca- kind of the way it is at, at Clemson right now. You're expected to win, you know?
1: And, and, and the flip side of that is in a non-pandemic year, you, you see Clemson's fans get criticized after every win. For coming onto the field, and you know some national media who don't understand what the yeah. tradition is, will say, "Hey, you know, you guys are used to winning. You shouldn't be doing that." But you know, that's the tradition. They they gather at the pall after right. after every game, really win or lose, uh, but particularly after wins. But uh, in any event. Clemson makes its statement. They they got the revenge. Uh, if you're watching on Zoom, which you're not, but I am. Tom Van Hoy just dropped his phone. Dropped uh, the phone. But, it's like dropped the mic, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not quite as dramatic though. Oh man. But uh, so so that set up then uh, obviously the SEC championship game between Alabama and Florida, which Alabama ends up uh, winning by a touchdown. So they they are undefeated. And they got the number one seed. Clemson got the number two seed. And that was expected when the playoff uh, committee released its its final standings yesterday. The controversy obviously comes in at three and four, Tom. And those slots were filled by Ohio State, who only played six games and only played on back-to-back weeks once this entire season. And then Notre Dame gets in at four. And Dave Glenn, who we'll Mm -hmm. talk to in just a minute... Uh, raised a possibility last week of Notre Dame becoming the the first conference championship game loser in the now seven-year history of the playoff to make the playoffs, uh, make uh, one of the, the final four seats. And, and the committee had a choice at number four. Uh, they, they were always going to put Ohio State in, whether they needed to be there or not, deserved to be there or not. They were always going to be there. So they had a choice at number four and really a quandary. Do you take Notre Dame? Who lost a conference championship game, and that's their their uh, first loss of the season? Do you take a one-loss Texas A&M, whose only loss was to Alabama, but did not make a conference championship, or do you take an undefeated Cincinnati, outside of the Power Five, who won its conference championship, finished undefeated at nine and zero, and has uh, the I think statistically the best defense in the country, or in inside the top two or three anyway? that was the quandary and it turned out not to be a quandary at all because the committee as much as as they said on television afterwards yesterday that we respect Cincinnati they didn't respect mm-hmm. Cincinnati they they, they no. gave they gave them no consideration at all it came down to Notre Dame and Texas A&M and of course the Irish got denied it.
0: yeah I would agree with you there Dan I mean it's just that's just how it is and and uh, I'm with you there uh, on Ohio State. They were going to be in, of course. The Big Ten changed everything, and and said you had to play six games. They only played five, and they bumped, uh, you know, Indiana, and, and of course Ohio State had beaten Indiana. Their two best wins, what were Indiana was Wisconsin, you know, to, to prior to that. And you know, you look back at it. Notre Dame uh, did beat uh, Clemson at home. They did beat North Carolina when they were ranked number. Uh, 15 of the country, Texas A&M, the first game of the year, lost at at Alabama. A lot of folks are going to lose, that, and they lost. I think it was 52 to 24, maybe 52 28, something like that. But I mean, uh, the matchup you look at Alabama and, and Notre Dame is like look what Clemson did to to Notre Dame, and uh, Alabama uh, offensively is is outstanding as well. So uh, if I had to the difference there, I, I wouldn't have had Ohio State in. I mean, they were undefeated. and you got to play a certain number of games, I think, anyway. Well, but has, you know, has, where has, I mean,
1: has anybody done more backtracking than the Big Ten since this thing started? I mean, first, we're not going to play. Okay, yeah, we are. We're only going to play six games. And you have to play six to get to the conference championship game. Well, wait a minute. Maybe you only have to play five if you're Ohio State. And now the latest one is that if you test positive, you have to have a 21-day – Oh, uh, right, period yeah. and now they've changed that to 17 it, which which yes. it magically is the number <laughs> that it takes to get to that playoff game on january the first so i mean if if they if they went backwards any further they, they would be a michael jackson moonwalk uh, or any any quicker <laughs> i should say it's it, it's just ridiculous but anyway i'm sorry go ahead
0: yeah no i was just gonna say there's just so much money involved and, and all that and you know, namesakes and things like that. It's, and they were in a tough situation to try to make that call. I mean, if, if you're A&M, they lobbied hard for it, and you can understand why they did. They played in the SEC. Why don't you guys try to play all conference games and and, and that kind of stuff. So there, yeah, it doesn't surprise me how it turned out based on the fact that you know, Notre Dame did beat uh, Clemson earlier this year, and that's a marquee win, and uh, you, knew you're gonna, you knew that Ohio State was going to be in there, and I think it just came down to Notre Dame, and Texas A and M, and they decided to go with uh, with Notre Dame.
1: Well, you know, and I've seen several people uh, since the the field was announced yesterday with this with this uh, opinion, and and I think it's spot on. We need to quit uh, putting up any kind of front that the Group of Five teams are ever going to get any respect in this thing. This is a Power Five Invitational. That's all it is. Yes. And that's all it's ever going to be. If, if in this year. Cincinnati can't get serious consideration, and, and it could be Cincinnati, it could be whoever in, in the group of five. If they can't get serious consideration over an Ohio State team that only played five regular season games, and I know it wasn't their fault. They, they had to do what their conference told them to do. But still, the reality is they only played five regular season games, six counting their conference championship. If if you can't get serious consideration to, to break into – that playoff field of four this year, then it's never going to happen, and we need to quit pretending that it's going to happen. And, and uh, that—that's the the thing that drives me crazy about the committee. If and and I've seen people saying, "Well, we don't need an eight team playoff because there's only really two teams that are worthy of it." Well, that's not the point. the The point is that the field needs to be a little more representative. And at eight, you could take the five conference champions in the Power Five. You could take a group of five conference champion, the, the best one, and you could take two at-large <laughs> bids. And whether whether eight is going to beat one or seven is going to beat two, that that's not the point. The point is you need a more representative field, and then let's see what happens. Nobody thought Boise State was going to hammer Oklahoma a few years ago <laughs> either, you know, and they did in a big bowl game. And, and you can find examples like that.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the other thing too, Dan, is when you look at the New York Year- uh, year six bowl games. put a, And I don't know the intricacies in terms of uh, maybe somebody has to go somewhere. I don't, I don't know. But don't you play Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina, you know? <laughs> Cincinnati's playing Georgia in the peach, and Iowa State, who's got three losses, is going to take on Oregon, who wasn't even supposed to be in the Pac-12 right. championship game. So I mean, Iowa State lost to Louisiana at home 31-14, lost at Oklahoma State 24-21, and then, you know, played Oklahoma tough in the Big 12 championship 27-21. But you know what? They got three losses. I mean, I, I'd love to just see that matchup of Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. Coastal's going to get Liberty in, what is it, the Cure Bowl in Orlando on the 26th or something like that. I mean, they do get an opportunity. But, you know, if you get into a New Year's Six Bowl games, and that's where, you know, you get into the money situation as well, too for a, somebody like Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina, that would yeah. be pretty good.
1: All right, look, before we uh, have to take a break and, and get Dave Glenn in here, let, let's, uh, let's look at one more aspect of this, this crazy bowl season. Army goes 9-2, and two, and I am no Jeff Munkin fan from his time at Georgia Southern and some of the stunts he pulled uh, in, in the Southern Conference, especially against Furman. Uh, in, in one particular instance, I am no Jeff Munkin fan, but I am a huge fan of Mike Buddy, the athletic director mm-hmm. at Army, and, and, and you know that and you know why, Tom. Army's 9-2, and two, and they're not going to a bowl game. South Carolina's 2-8, and eight, and they are going to a bowl game. What's wrong with this picture?
0: Wow, well, you know, let me count the ways. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I think in Army's standpoint, they were scheduled to go to the Independence Bowl, and I don't think there's anybody left, maybe, uh, to, uh, to play, I guess, is what I read a little bit earlier this morning in terms of. But I mean, from a qualification standpoint, you just got to, you know, if you played this year, I think you get in, right? I mean, you're talking about right. South Carolina taking on UAB, and that's in the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa, Florida, at noon on, <clears throat> on ABC. So I don't know, Dan. Uh, at, I don't know if you're South Carolina. Do you, do you really want to play in that bowl game? I would think you want to turn the page and move on.
1: Well, uh, looking at some comments from interim head coach Mike Bobo yesterday, uh, they definitely want to play. They want to get, mm-hmm. as he said, a head start on on uh, next year and using yeah. this extra practice time. And Shane Beamer not going That's to be. true. Co- yeah. Shane Beamer is not going to be coaching the game. Uh, but he is going to be observing. Uh, Mike Bobo and and the rest of the staff are going to be putting together the game plan and, and executing it. But Beamer will be on hand. But, yeah, and I don't blame South Carolina, the, the the football program itself, for wanting to do that. Even at two and eight, as embarrassing as that may be, I don't I don't blame them for wanting to do it. I blame a system that will take a nine and two, or a two and eight team over a nine and two team just because, again. Where's South Carolina from? They're from a Power Five conference. They're from the Southeastern Conference. Well, okay, they're a bad, bad team in a Power Five conference. I'd rather see Army play. I'd rather see somebody try to figure out that stupid triple option that they never see (laughs) in a bowl game than see South Carolina go and play in this particular situation. Nothing personal against the Gamecocks. It's just, you know, I don't care if, if Army's bowl got canceled. They need to fall into another slot somewhere.
0: Well, and you know, South Carolina is not the only SEC team that's sub 500 that's going to be in a bowl game. There are six of them. Twelve teams, twelve teams in the league are going. Is that right? I think it's only Vanderbilt and LSU. So, and there's six of those are sub 500 teams. Of course, they'll say they beat everybody up in, in the SEC, and then that's probably to a certain extent true. But yeah, I mean, we're in we're in that type of um, situation where it's a uh, uh, they one a generational type year and it, when a two and eight team can get in and in South Carolina not the only two and eight team that that got got in as well. But uh seemed like you could find a shot someplace for Army. Hey, they beat both uh, you know Navy and, and Air Force, the commander in chief. Right. And, uh but in a place for coastal or a little bit better place for coastal and, and uh, I mean Cincinnati's gonna end up with a good one. Uh, as well, they get in the New York Six uh, Bowl or New York New Year's Six Bowl game. We mentioned in the Peach, but it'd be nice to see uh, see that opportunity. And, and uh, I'm, I'm with you. I just, I mean, I come my background comes out of uh, Division Two and <clears throat> the playoffs, and saw how all that plays out. You know, I'm not advocating for 24 teams or anything like that. And we see it at Furman and the FCS. And uh, just but give an opportunity to more than four
1: teams. Yeah, 8-8 would be nice. And eventually I think we'll get there, but uh, not now. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Dave Glenn will be with us on the other side. This is the Dan Scott Show and the Grumpy Old Broadcasters (laughs) Podcast. And I I think I qualify as grumpy this morning. A lot lot of things happened over the weekend that did not sit well with me. And if I have to defend Jeff Munkin, I'm going to take a shower (laughs) during the break. We'll come back with more in just a moment. All right, we are back and continuing to roll here. Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast, episode 20. Good to have you along with us, as always. Uh, no shortage of things to talk about today. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time setting things up. And when you got a, a guy like we have coming in to join us now, there's no need to set up much anyway. Dave Glenn, accsports.com, theathletic.com, and the Athletic. Carolina's sub site is here as always to uh, help us get to the bottom of some things. And ironically, in this pandemic year, with some of the things we saw this weekend, the bottom is probably where we start. Yeah. David, how are you, sir?
2: I'm doing great, Dan. Good to be with you and Tom again.
1: It has nothing to do with the Atlantic Coast Conference, David, but Tom and I just close out the last segment by uh, talking about the uh, is there anything more pandemic in the sports world? than two and eight South Carolina going to a bowl and nine and two army not.
2: That hurts, right? That's painful to watch. And I mean, we know how it happened, but that doesn't make it easier to digest. You know, you got bowls canceling at last minute. You have teams pulling out at the last minute. I, it was a weird set of dominoes falling, but yeah, you might as well just put that hashtag on anything that doesn't make sense. You just say 2020 and you shrug your shoulders and you keep moving.
1: Some people would say you could hashtag this show if that was the criteria. (laughs) It doesn't make sense, but uh, I, uh, Tom and I opened uh, by uh, talking uh, about the ACC championship game. You know, we're, we were born at night, but not last night. Hmm. Um, and, and, and the way I phrase it, David, we, we hear every year this team made a statement, that team made a statement. Uh, Clemson made a statement in that ACC championship game. Would you agree?
2: No doubt about it because Notre Dame had become a well-rounded football team. Early this season, they were not very good offensively, especially in the passing game. But on their way to a pretty rare regular season unblemished record, Ian Book got better, the passing game got better, the running game was always there, the defense was championship caliber, and yet Clemson trotted out there, you know, at closer to full strength and reversed the results of what happened in South Bend, uh, and then some, because South Bend, of course, was double overtime and a nail-biter, and this was just an absolute trouncing. And I was reminded, Dan, when I filled out my All-America teams and my All-ACC teams, At almost every position, I had a Clemson player, if not number one, somewhere in the mix. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, obviously a Travis Etienne at running back. But as I went position by position, Clemson was the only school, you know, Amari Rodgers at wide receiver. And then you go to the offensive line and there's, you know, at – Tackle, it's Jackson Carmen. And at guard, it's Will Put- Putnam. And then you go to the defensive line and the rest of that defense. And it's, I thought Miles Murphy was the offensive rookie of the year in the whole league and a first team uh, defensive lineman. And Brian Brzee. And, uh, you know, Skalski wasn't an all ACC guy because he missed so many games, but he's a heck of a player. Uh, and others. I mean, go on and on. Darian Kendrick at, at cornerback, Nolan Turner at safety when you build your program to the point that you have one of the best or more than one of the best players in the league at almost every position, you are a true juggernaut. And in our time together, you know, Bobby Bowden did that at Florida state for a while. Maybe you could say Jimbo Fisher's very best run at FSU fit that description as well. But now Dabbo Sweeney's, you know, a long way I know it is 10 years longer than a decade, but the juggernaut is qu- not quite that long. But this is one of the greatest stretches of football in the history of the ACC. And when you look at the level of dominance in terms of their record, their only blemish being at less than full strength at Notre Dame, a very good team, but also in the bigger picture, uh, just cranking out six straight ACC titles. This is, it was a statement game for the 2020 season, as you said. But it was a statement game, I think, you know, kind of emblazoning Dabo Sweeney as one of the most successful football coaches in the history of this league, even at a relatively young age. And this Clemson football program, uh, you know, up there with the likes of really only Alabama at the, the top of the hill until somebody proves otherwise.
0: Tom? They did you think that given the way that game played out of the final score and how the domination of Clemson. Did you think uh, Notre Dame was still getting in the top four?
2: I thought there was a chance they would not. You know, and, you know, what's t- why was Texas A&M not in? Well, they weren't in a conference championship game, so they don't get that Power Five champion label, right? 24 of the yeah. 28 college football playoff teams. 24 out of 28 have been Power Five league champions, uh, so that's, that's a sign that the committee underlines that uh, the, the Irish were not the champion, obviously upon losing. And when you lose that badly, it was 34 to three, right? Before they added mm-hmm. that touchdown. I thought there was a chance that somebody else, whether it was A&M or uh, even an undefeated Cincinnati, uh, I didn't think they would go for one of the two or three lost teams. Although Oklahoma a heck of a two loss big 12 champion and, Florida's a heck of a three-loss team. Uh, they've never gone into the ranks of the, the multiple loss teams for the college football playoff. But I thought, given the unusual nature of this season and given that Cincinnati did have one top 25 win uh, that and that they had dominated people in a way that Texas A&M did not dominate people, um, I thought there was a chance that the first group of five team got the nod, but clearly... Um, You know, the scheduling weighs down those group of five teams, uh, especially in a year where because of the pandemic, you know, you didn't really have the opportunity to schedule up out of conference. Um, So I was a little bit surprised, but knowing the way that committee thinks uh, in the end, I certainly couldn't say I was shocked because uh, in the past they have tended to favor uh, those power five teams, you know, at virtually all costs and I believe Cincinnati was the highest-ranked group of five team in the history of the college football playoff final rankings. So I guess you could say they're getting closer, but if it wasn't going to happen this year, I don't know when it's
1: going to happen. Well, and and that's exactly where I was going to go. I mean, we really need to quit even talking about the group of five teams because I think in this year when you've got an Ohio State team that only played five regular season games – Six counting their conference championship, and they get in. You have a conference championship game loser get in. If an undefeated group of five team like Cincinnati with that resume doesn't get in now, they're never going to get in, and we just need to treat this as it is, and it's a power five invitational as long as it's a fourteen playoff field.
2: I think you're right. That's the label that it deserves. Cincinnati, by the way, beat people by an average of 40 to 16. It is not easy to go undefeated especially when you play more games. You know, Ohio State was 6 and 0. Not uh, Cincinnati was 9 and 0. And when you annihilate people that way, you know, Tulsa's a pretty good football team that finished in the top 25 of the college football playoff committee, the, the final top 25. UCF was a pretty good football team. Um, other teams had good records. They beat SMU which was 7 and 3. They beat Memphis which was 7 and 3. They beat Army which was 9 and 2 but because those teams have nice records in what is viewed as a lesser conference, Cincinnati doesn't get many power points. Meanwhile, you know, Texas A&M wins, for example, uh, well, Notre Dame, Notre Dame had two quality wins. It was beating Clemson the first time and it was beating a Carolina team that finished in the top 15 of the college football playoff uh, top 25, but Texas A&M, the only and it was a great win beating florida in the regular season that's a great win but i have a hard time other than giving sort of this legacy vote to the sec right i have a hard time believing that <laughs> texas a&m finished a couple slots higher than cincinnati texas a&m had one great win and their next wins were over like 5 and 5 lsu and 6 and 4 auburn that fired their coach and that's it that's it There's nowhere else to go look for Aggies performance boosters. Cincinnati's resume looked a lot like Texas A&M's resume. Um, So it's extra alarming to me that even in a year where you could make the argument that Notre Dame was more deserving for number four, I don't know how you make the argument that 9-0 Cincinnati is behind three loss Florida and two loss Oklahoma – uh, and even that 8-1 and one Texas A&M team. To me, they're a lot more similar than what the committee ultimately decided. And you're right, Dan, your label is accurate. You know, it, it would be – we'd solve a lot of these challenges if we went to an eight team playoff and, and saved an automatic bid for the best team in the group of five. Um, to me, that would be fun. It would be inclusive the way the uh, NCAA men's basketball tournament is inclusive – but I don't think we're going to get that, at least not until these contracts expire, and I think we're still six years away from that.
1: Well, and Before Tom goes, let me just follow up on that, because I have seen uh, a number of, of national sports writers this weekend, and I even even I think it was the SEC commissioner, uh, talking about, well, if, if we go to eight, we're just going to be arguing about who's nine. And And, and to me, that's a weak argument. And the other one is, well, we only have – you know, maybe two teams in Clemson and Alabama who have a legitimate shot at winning the national championship. I've actually heard people say, "Let's go back to the BCS and just get the the, the number yeah. one and number two teams." All, all of this is is ludicrous. It doesn't matter if Cincinnati has a legitimate shot to win the national championship or not. To me, it matters that they deserve to be in that top four and have an opportunity.
2: Yeah, and I use the uh, men's basketball parallel again. Um, I do. I do like the inclusivity of every team showing up at their conference tournament in basketball, knowing that no matter what their regular season looked like, if they won that conference tournament championship, they get the automatic bid. Um, So that's different than football, of course. But when you think about the size of the event, 68 teams in the case of basketball, I find it interesting that when people talk about expanding from there, really, you know, the lowest ranked at-large bids in basketball are in that 11-seed range, and there's no 11-seed that's going to win the NCAA basketball tournament. I mean, we've had eight seeds uh, make a long run. We've had even, I think, double-digit seeds get to the Final Four. But at that point, you know the last teams that you're adding have absolutely no chance of of winning the NCAA tournament. In in football, I do think when you dominate the way Cincinnati dominated – I think you can make an argument that they're capable of playing with anybody, especially given that top 25 win. Again, others did not have more than top, one top 25 win either. Um, at, and, and the other thing I don't get, Dan, is, yes, we'd be arguing about the ninth best team. That is true. We would because we like to argue about stuff. But it's still a cop-out, as you said. The eight-team format would be more inclusive. It would still allow for subjectivity, right? At some point in an 18 playoff, you'd still have a committee deciding, depending on the format, you know, do you take all five power five champions? Do you take them only if they're ranked above a certain mark uh, in the top 25? Let's just pretend you're taking all five power five champions and you take the best of the group of five. Well, that leaves two at large spots and other group of five teams would be in some years candidates for that at large spot. You know, the, the runner-up at these conference championship games would be candidates for that at-large spot. So that we wouldn't be taking the subjectivity about, out of it. We wouldn't be taking the drama out of it. I think that, you know, most of these college officials think it's a good thing that people like us debate who's number four, who's number five. We're in that alternative. Who's number eight and who's number nine. I, that is good for the sport in basketball and football. So I see a lot more positives than negatives and I think the day is coming where this is going to go from four to eight. I just don't think it's going to be until 2026. Well, there'll be a lot more people watching uh, on television,
0: those playoff games than they would some of the bowl games. 16, 16 bowl games canceled. 22 teams have opted out, including six out of the ACC, Boston College, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Any of that surprised you that those teams decided maybe not to play because you could get some extra practice time in, things like that?
2: True. That's, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the one thing coaches hate to give away the most, but a lot of folks don't realize middle and lower tier bowl teams make no money for the schools, none, Uh, and really very little money for the league. So you can imagine the conversation. The coach does want that extra practice time, but he's only one voice in the room the players, many of them are exhausted and haven't seen their families and are tired of living in a semi-bubble. And when football players get to the point where I was told at some of these schools, it wasn't quite unanimous, but it was a huge majority saying, we're not interested in some bowl we've never heard of in a part of the country that we have no interest in to extend you know, our isolation from our family and friends that much longer. So, so I think what you put your finger on, Tom, the, the lost practice time was the biggest sacrifice because the university chancellor or president isn't upset because you're not losing any money. In fact, sometimes you lose money by going to a bowl because of travel and other expenses. So uh, the way it shook out, I'm glad at most schools it looked like the players did get a voice. Uh, but in the end, given the chaos of this year and the details and, and you know, if you're five and five, you're going to a bowl where you know not a whole lot of people are going to want to go, and you know your fan base isn't allowed to travel. It's not. It's not saying no to a bowl in the normal course of what we think of as bowls. You're right. Yeah. You know, it's saying no to a bowl where mom and dad probably don't want to go. Uh, you might feel banged up and tired of the the, the isolation. Um, And, you know, the TV partners and the Bulls are disappointed, but, you know, they're not people that had a voice in the room, really.
1: Dave Glenn, ACCSports.com and TheAthletic.com joining us to uh, do what we normally do. And that's talk about the Atlantic Coast Conference and then usually break down those borders and and go outside of the walls of the ACC. Back into the conference, though, Dave, with the uh, announcement that Justin Fuente will indeed be back at Virginia Tech. It appears that for the uh, one of the very few times as we were talking before we started recording the segment in in maybe the last 30 years, every coach in the Atlantic Coast Conference football wise looks like they're going to be back.
2: Yeah, it is weird, Dan. You know, I've tracked this for a long time. There are a few other examples. Uh, And of course, most of those examples are when it was a smaller league, you know, eight out of eight returning or nine out of nine returning or 12 out of 12 returning. Uh, just mathematically has a better chance of happening than 15 out of 15, but the usual places that you look, you know, bottom of the standings, right. You know, and Mike Norvell had a really bad debut at Florida state, but he's only in year one. He's not going to get fired. Uh, Scott Satterfield had a bad year at Louisville, but he's only in year two and has done some good things there already. Jeff Collins had a bad year at Georgia tech. He's only been there a couple of years. So he's going to get, you know, that longer leash. Uh, everyone else was 500-ish or above, except for Duke and Syracuse. You know, and Dino Babers at Syracuse gets some credit for taking a largely irrelevant Syracuse team and finishing the top 25 just a couple years ago. So that bought him more time. And whereas David Cutcliffe at Duke just went two and nine, he is reviewed. He is viewed by the administration there as a godsend. You know, he's he's basically the second best Duke football coach. In the last 50 years, behind only Steve Spurrier, not an exaggeration. So even though his results in the last couple of years have been bad, they're viewing his body of work over a decade plus and and saying, you know, if David Cutcliffe feels that he has it in his belly to kind of fight the good fight and try to turn Duke around again, he's earned the right to do that. Now, I don't know at what point David Cutcliffe – Uh, says, you know, I'm done with this stuff. That's a guy who had, you know, serious health problems earlier in his career. Uh, But unless we get a late surprise, uh, yeah, it's going to be 15 out of 15 returning. um, And that is not something that happens very often in the nomadic world of college football coaching. Dave, let me ask you a, a basketball
0: question. And I don't know if either one of you guys saw this, but University of Missouri, Kansas City, they're now called the Kansas City Kangaroos, played a doubleheader, they played Kansas City Christian at noon, and then they played him again at 7 o'clock at night <laughs> in wow. KC. So, and I, what was it, back in 2008, the tornado in, in Atlanta, and I think Georgia might have played two games in one day. You ever heard of that? I mean, in the ACC, I probably not, but I just thought I saw that as an interesting basketball story.
2: No, that's crazy. Um, I've seen it at, you know, AAU tournaments and things like yeah. that. Uh, I can't think of anything like that at the college level. I have been intrigued by watching, say, um, you know, I think it's, I just saw High Point and UNC Asheville uh, play each other basically in a double header, not the same day though. I think it's to cut down on travel time and to cut down on a a lot of other expenses and, and complications for COVID, you just go to Asheville you play one day, you play the next day, then you go back. So you're not even doing a home and home. I mean, you're you're on the road for two against this conference opponent and you're home for two against this other conference opponent. Uh, and I've seen a little bit of that with FCS football where in my neighborhood, you know, Elon is going to play James Madison twice in the spring. Now, again, it's not, mm. you know, the same day, et cetera. It's football. But yeah, it's all the rules of convention pretty much are out the window. So what, especially in these leagues and, and schools that have less money, I don't think we should be surprised by just about anything along these lines.
1: Well, convention left this radio show a long, long time ago. <laughs> so it, uh, it fits in very well. Dave, uh, won't you tell everybody how they can find out more about what you do on a regular basis?
2: Yeah, we have a lot of fun on Twitter, at David Glenn Show. We also contribute to theathletic.com with more than 1 million worldwide subscribers, including Dan Scott, among many others. Uh, the Athletic Carolina is the sub-site where a lot of my stuff appears. And, of course, we created the ACC Sports Journal and accsports.com way back in 1994, so folks can check that out anytime as well.
1: Hey, by the way, do we want to drop uh, your other little piece of news, or should we save that for another time?
2: Uh, it's not official yet okay. by the university, so I'm I am going to take a college teaching position starting in January. But I, I probably will defer and let let I I seriously, it's funny. I have to pass a criminal background check, Dan. So <laughs> Good who luck, knows man. how that's going to go at the human resources <laughs> <laughs> department? <laughs> is, is, is there? Is I, there have, some, I have no idea. Is there I've something? Done a lot of I've done a lot of guest speaking, but when you take a, a position of a certain right, level, right, 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 there's a whole lot of human resources hoops to jump through. <laughs> anything, oh, you wanna, anything
1: you want? Anything you want to confess before we go? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, one time a long time ago, I was driving so fast through the state of North Carolina. This was before I knew I was going to live in North Carolina. The long story short is, I was on my way from Florida to my home in Pennsylvania, and I was flying. And at some point, if you're speeding by enough it becomes classified as some kind of a low-level crime. I forget the terminology because this is when I was young and dumb and, you know, you think you're immortal and you're going 95 miles an hour. I was embarrassed. It was horrible. But um, I had to follow a state trooper to some kind of makeshift, like it looked like a jail. (laughs) I was scared to death. And basically because you were not a North Carolina resident, You had to resolve this whatever it was called in the moment, like just, I think, to be allowed to leave. Otherwise, I would have died in a remote North Carolina prison somewhere. Uh, So is that on my record? I really have no idea. It was – it was – it was truly 30 plus years, maybe 35 years yeah. ago. Yeah, I, I, would wow. say,
1: I would say it's probably been expunged, but I just, <laughs> I just, I just, have, I just have this this image of of the episode from the Andy Griffith Show where he he arrested the person for speeding and then walked in. And sat down behind the desk, and he turned the the uh, the desk marker around. It said sheriff, and he turned it around and said justice of the peace. Judge,
2: hey, <laughs> that is how I felt that day, man. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. Oh, and, and I came man. to find out that when young men drive nice cars from Florida north, they don't think you're just a speeder. Right. <laughs> they they think you may be involved in other things. Right. So fortunately, of course, I was not. Otherwise, that uh, criminal background check would definitely have a different result. Well,
1: well, when we tweet this out later, guess what we're going to be promoting for people (laughs) to listen to, uh, among other things. Uh, I'm afraid of the headline. uh, That's fantastic. (laughs) Hey, Dave, thank you, as always, for joining us. We'll be back in just a bit to close things out. Don't go away. You know, the way we ended that uh, that last segment with Dave Glenn, I don't know that there's really anything else to talk about. <laughs> there's really not. What I can tell you is if you're listening here on WZLA in Abbeville, Lee Collins is coming up next, and uh, he's going to have a lot about Abbeville's 11th – or not 11th consecutive, but 11th uh, football state championship, and I think their fifth in the last six years. So congratulations to the Panthers. They just keep dominating – And uh, he'll be taking you up until 7 o'clock on the um, podcast. We'll just remind you again that we're presented by our friends at Tadaro Pizza. Tadaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O-Pizza.com is the website. Our thanks to John and the folks there for continuing to to stick with us during some uh, pandemic-era radio and podcast talk. And we look forward to being back with you again. Not sure what the schedule is going to be over the next week or two, I'll check that out with the Godfather and see if we'll be back on Wednesday or on on, um, Monday of next week or not. But regardless, have yourself a very, very Merry Christmas and uh, try to take some time out of your busy schedules to sit back and relax and reflect. Enjoy the time with your family. And yes, I'm going to be that guy. Remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. We will talk to you again uh, either next week or sometime in the next couple of weeks. Until then, you folks have yourself a great, great day. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to Grumpy Old Broadcasters Episode 20. I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.